Apostolic Community, welcome to episode 57. How's everybody doing? If you happen to be listening to this in real time, are you keeping warm? Uh, it has been in the single digits uh, temperature-wise here for too many days in a row, and frankly, I'm tired of shoveling the snow. And for those of you who live in warm areas, I know you don't care. I get it. Uh, you just need to know that those of us who are putting up with the cold weather and the snow, I mean, we're better than you, or simply just more stupid. I don't know. Probably a topic for another podcast entirely. Anyway, uh, how many of you watched the test launch of the SpaceX Starship back in the first week of February? I watched it in real time. It was super fascinating to watch and something, you know, a bunch of smart people were figuring it out in front of millions of people. I don't know if I could do that. But I was amazed at the announcer's comments right after it blew up on the launch pad. He said, all told, another great test flight. We got a lot of great data. Um, did you just see the thing I just saw? I mean, it blew up. Come on. And you know what? I, I have to say, I really love the perspective of what most people, myself included, would consider a failure. They're trying new things, which means failure will happen. And then what can they learn from the data they collected? I also love that uh, SpaceX, they have set up a manufacturing plant just to crank out starships, make little tweaks along the way based on what they've learned. Instead of investing all their money in one rocket that has to succeed, they're investing less money in a lesser rocket so that they can kind of learn as they go. I, I just think that's so smart. And you know what? I was working a virtual event uh, earlier this week where we were trying something new and it failed like a starship blowing up on the launch pad. I mean, it was spectacular. That was probably the wrong word, but it was, yeah, it was like that. And there were a lot of angry people with lots of questions about how we could let this happen. And in reality, trying something new for the first time means that you can't plan for everything since you've never done it. And you don't know exactly what will work and what won't. You're just basically making educated guesses on your past experience. But you know, once the rocket has exploded, so to speak, I mean, we can all gather tons of data from what to never do again, and you know how to make adjustments for next time. Also, you can think twice about betting the farm on one big idea. I mean, making incremental steps towards an ultimate goal, that yeah, might be more wise. If you have a great big idea for Christmas, maybe try out small chunks of it along the way on a normal weekend so you can work out whatever the issues are on those little pieces. Anyway, things learned from Elon Musk again. And not that our podcast is about Elon Musk or SpaceX or starships exploding. We are about the Philo community and our goal is to help you become a more effective technical artist so that your church can become more effective. And we do that through the podcast, you know, talking about SpaceX. Uh, we do it through the Philo conference, our digital and print resources, as well as Philo staffing and Philo coaching. And speaking of Philo coaching, We've been doing something we call Philo Coaching Cohorts in the last few months, and they've been really great. And for me, the chance to hang out virtually with 10 other technical artists has been super rejuvenating for me personally. And we've seen how useful these times have been. So we decided it was time to start a Philo Coaching Cohort specifically for all those ladies in production. Whether you're a front house engineer, an LD, a producer, video director, whatever, we'd love to have you join a group of 10 other females in the world of church production for a time of the things that matter to us in the file community, skill development, community together, and inspiration. And our own Aubrey Wentz, 
You might know her as one of the hosts for the Philo Conference, you know, the responsible one. She's going to be leading a group of 10 ladies for four two-hour, once-a-week gatherings on Zoom. And if you're interested in more details, you can go to our website, philo.org, for more information. And I couldn't be more excited to see how God's going to work and move in this group. All right, on to the podcast. I'm really excited about this episode. If you've listened to the Philo podcast, you know that John Jorgensen interviewed me to talk about the latest Philo resource, which is the book I wrote, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, which, while I record this, is number 158,737th bestseller on Amazon. So go check it out. Anyway, I had a great time talking with John, and I thought it would be fascinating to talk to someone who is creating stuff like he does. He not only creates content for his own YouTube channel, but he also is creating content for other churches. And he's currently the teaching pastor at Soul City Church, which is full of some of our favorite people. And so let's get right to it. John, good to be with you. Hello, Todd. Thanks for having me. Yeah, the, the backstory on our little podcast recording is that this is our round two, 2.0 of our little conversation <laughs> because yours truly had some internet troubles. So Yes, uh, yes. The guy who runs a <laughs> tech conference can't get, get his Wi-Fi in order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to blame um, solar flares, I think, okay. was really at, at fault. That's what I, I read. Some I read about that online. Oh, oh yeah, my wife thinks they're just uh, a made-up thing, uh, but they're real. And well, do you do you remember it was like oh gosh, it was probably in August when there was like a nationwide like internet oh right uh -huh. snafu on like a Sunday morning right, and every church was like, why is our live stream down? And I was like, <laughs> well, that's because everyone's internet is down. Right, right. It's not just you. Solar <laughs> flares do not. Uh, differentiate, discriminate. That's the word I'm looking for. That's right. All internets down. There's a lesson anyway, in there somewhere. Yeah. Right? I'm not sure how we got talking about solar flares, but that I could probably talk for a long time about that. But let's not talk about that and instead talk about, first of all, just sort of uh, how we know each other. I, I think mostly we know each other from Philo. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, yeah, I think so. So, I have had the privilege and the honor of being a part of the the Philo Conference um, in its many iterations over the last three to four years now. I, the first time I actually went to Philo, I don't know if you even know this, was mm. um, I performed with Green Room Improv. Oh, right. In like, 2016. I think it was 2016, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay. So that was the first time I was ever like at Philo or I didn't even know what it was. I was just like, I'm just performing this improv show. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was the next year that Dave Hunter brought me in to uh, help with uh, the highlight video and right, things right. like that. And then that sort of more, that role sort of morphed and changed and grew into helping out with some of the social media stuff during the two days of the conference with uh, Chelsea, which then led to... You know, going on a few video shoots to California and to wonderful sunny Minsk. Um, <laughs> the opposite extremes of trips. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Good, so we, good times had. All, all connections through where all good things start with Philo. There you go. <laughs> I, it's hard to, I mean, just thinking about the years going by, it has been, yeah, 2016 was four years ago. And yeah. 
Uh, yeah, just thinking about the yeah trip to Minsk, California. Just one time to California, or did we go a couple yeah, times together? I I only went one time with you guys. Got it. Okay. I've been, I've just been so many times I can't keep track. Of I it all. know oh, such yeah. a well traveled man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's also another podcast. Uh, let's start with kind of what you're doing right now, mm-hmm. and kind of what got you to where you are right now. Yeah, so talking about my relationship with Philo is actually a good uh, starting place or uh, example of much of the work that I have found myself doing over the last five years. Uh, if we want to go back really far, Let's... my background is... So I was born uh, <laughs> okay. in... No, my, my background is in acting and musical theater. That's what I majored in in college. That's what I did post-college. I worked as an actor in New York City for several years. And during that time, I had my days free. I performed in shows at night and I had all day free. And if you can imagine being in a, you know theatrical production as an actor, it sounds like a very creative job. It is not always the most creative job because you are performing the same exact show every single night. You are wearing the same exact clothes, standing in the same exact spots and saying the same exact words to the same exact people. And as much as I loved that work and was grateful for it, I was really in search of uh, an artistic outlet and a ministry outlet. And so during that time, I just started experimenting with YouTube videos, many of which uh, fell in like the spoken word poetry realm, but okay. many also were topical videos. And they all sort of fit under the hood of the relationship between faith and creativity okay. and how the two sort of interplay. Because at the time I was an actor, I very much considered myself an artist uh, who was also a person of faith. And so as that time uh, performing for me came to a close, uh, my wife and I, we decided to move back to the Chicagoland area, at which point I decided to kind of stop, quote, performing in, uh, in that sense and sort of made a transition into this freelance work in okay. and around the church and different faith organizations or events. And that freelance work took a lot of, like most freelancers, anyone who has ever worked in the (laughs) freelance world who's listening to this podcast can probably uh, relate. At first, it was just whatever I could find, whatever anyone would hire me to do, Uh I'm going to do it. But after a few years, I found uh, a real niche in um, in that world, which was sort of to work as a freelance creative pastor slash creative director in some sense. So with Philo, that iteration was mainly on the social and uh, digital content side of things. Um, I kind of helped partner with Chelsea and kind of casting a vision for how do we tell the story of the Philo conference at the Philo conference for our audience online. Right. But then in other places, uh, there's plenty of churches that I partnered with uh, in the Chicagoland area where around Easter or around Christmas, churches that have a budget to do some kind of special creative element, but aren't necessarily at a place where they're going to hire a full-time creative pastor. Right. They might bring me in to write some sort of spoken word piece or help to craft some kind of theatrical visual experience for those kind of big Easter Christmas celebrations. Uh, And so that was sort of the work that I did, just kind of helping churches, once again, still in the same realm of how do we marry our, uh, this creativity with our faith. 
And so that was the work that I did for about five years, um, which has sort of morphed and changed into now I work as a teaching pastor at Soul City Church in the West Loop, downtown Chicago, but still very much trying to do that same work. I think because of my, and we'll probably talk more about it, but because of my history as an actor and as a performer, creativity and artistry will always be a part of everything that I do. I just won't be able to avoid it, even if it's a 30-minute Sunday sermon. Right, right. Okay. Uh, Your story is so interesting to me, just sort of the twists and turns uh, that it's taking. And one of the big reasons I wanted to have a conversation, it was sort of born out of the, you know, we had one uh, Philo podcast episode where you were the host and you were interviewing me. And I don't know if it was maybe before the recording or after, maybe even during the whole thing. Yeah, just started thinking about the this idea of creativity and technology. And you've been in a really unique position of doing both things to mm. accomplish your goal. You know, so you're you're writing the script, you're performing the script, you're recording yourself, you're making sure the audio works, you're editing the thing. Even a lot of what uh, what you've done with Philo has been a mixture of both things. And mm. I'm interested in the this kind of combination of uh, creativity and technology. And for you, I would imagine that the creative, you know, the, the content is coming before the technology and then the technology mm. is whatever it needs to be to serve that. Or is it sort of like, you know what the technology is, so you're creating something to fit in that box? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think... One thing that has always resonated with me that you talk about a lot with Philo and you talk about it in your book is that distance between the stage and the tech booth. Yeah, yeah. And when you, like myself for many years, work on your own and by yourself for the most part, um, you there is no distance between yeah. the stage <laughs> and the tech booth because the reason that I was writing the content and performing the content and then also editing the content on in post-production is because there was no one better to hand it off to. Sure, right. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think at my, at my core, I think I am more of the stage, if that makes sense. Like I'm sure, more yeah, yeah. on the stage side of things, but I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity that I've had, and especially through Philo, to step off the stage and, and get a that tech booth perspective. Yeah. Um, and so I want to call that out, and I'm not sure if that exactly answers your question, but I wanted to call out that tension and and one thing that I think Philo has really taught me is the value of the the technical side of things and the potential for the same creativity that is being expressed on stage to be expressed backstage or or in that booth. Right. But to speak to your question specifically, because my my bent has always been towards the the stage side of that equation, for me the technical aspect of it has always kind of been something that I am willing to put up with. <laughs> um, it's it's always been like a means to an end. Sure, yeah. When I'm the one doing the work, I want right. to be clear there. Sure, yeah. When I'm the one who has to do that work, because that's just not the that's not the creative work that necessarily gives me life. Making sure that right. it sounds good or making sure that it's lit well, that is a means to get the message out. When I'm one doing it, right. Which is why I'm so grateful that something like Philo exists because then there are people who 
that work is truly creative and life-giving for them. Right, right. Who I can partner with and collaborate with that makes the entire message and the entire product that much more effective and powerful. Right, right. Now, just the your relationship to technology, because, you know, it's a means to an end, you kind of alluded to it just that it, it has helped you in how you think about uh, being involved on a team where there is, you know, physical distance between the stage and the booth and other people are doing that work. I'd be curious, just how has it affected yeah, how you think about the people back there. Is it just like, oh, I know this is difficult work or this isn't just a no-brainer, so I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that people feel loved or, you know, what? Hmm. Do you have a thought process or is it maybe just comes so naturally to you now that you don't even think about it? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer your question by sharing a story first. So like I said, my sort of freelance work has taken me into many different random jobs over the years. And a few years ago, I somehow got hooked up with an event planning company that plans a lot of like large scale outdoor festivals, um, mainly music festivals, anything from like Bonnaroo and Burning Man to Uh like big outdoor Christian evangelism events, you know? (laughs) Um, And this one specifically it was a large outdoor evangelistic conference, a two-day thing where you have bands like Hillsong and Mosaic and Elevation are there. And then you also have these big, you know, famous Christian celebrity speakers and pastors. Right. But I wasn't there to speak. I wasn't there doing stage work. I was there off stage creating social media content for the event planning company that is coordinating all of these technical vendors. Right, okay. And so I didn't show up on the first day of the event. I showed up on the first day of the build. Okay. And we were at Texas Motor Speedway, and (laughs) it was in October in Dallas. And it felt like the weather, I'm not kidding you, Todd, the weather felt like February in Chicago. It was freezing rain all week long for this entire seven day build. (laughs) And they had to build, you know, I mean, you've done builds like this. It's outdoors from scratch. They had to build the entire stage, had to build everything from scratch in the rain, torrential all day, every day. And of course, once we got to the day of the event, it was beautiful. It was sunny. It was amazing. (laughs) And what was so interesting is like, I had never been necessarily a part of a build like that. For the most part, I had been the person who showed up on day one of the event and was handed the microphone and took the stage and did my thing. It's all ready. It's all there. And that having that experience and documenting that experience especially gave me a different perspective that I'd never had before where every time I step on a stage now, I think to myself, someone had to build this stage. Right. Someone had to put this platform up or every time I get a microphone in my hand, like someone had to patch this, someone had to run this cable. And if they didn't do that, and if they didn't do their job well, then the work that I'm here to do just simply cannot happen. Right. Right. And the, it is, I, it is criminal the way that the church has valued certain giftings over others. Yeah. And for me, as, as like the Sunday teacher now, that's the role that I'm in. Yeah. My role that I play at a uh, church event 
as the speaker or as the teacher is lifted up so far and above anyone else. It's, it's criminal, you know, um, I, I'm the one who's like bringing the quote good news, right? Simply because I'm the one who cracks open the Bible and reads it. Yeah. But the reality and the, and the thing that I try and continually remain mindful of is that if, if the person in the booth is not turning on the microphone and is not making sure that it's the levels are perfect. Mm-hmm. If the the people in the booth who, you know, made sure that the lighting design is creating an atmosphere that is conducive to people's hearts even being open to this, like it is all collaborative work and all of it is important. And yeah, so that that experience and that's an experience I've had at Philo because I'm working off stage behind the scenes as well. Yeah. Um it just keeps things in perspective for me and maybe as like, you know, the up on stage egotistical preacher boy, it just helps to to humble me and remind me that um, this is truly the body of Christ working together. Yeah, yeah. That I am not the head, but I am serving under the head of Christ along with technical artists. Right. It's so interesting. The um, I had a conversation. This is going back many years. I don't think Philo existed yet. Uh, but I was I was having dinner with a group of people, and one of those people was uh, Lincoln Brewster, mm-hmm. uh, the worship leader, and we were sitting next to each other. And so somehow we got talking about just the the role of the technical person uh, at uh, at churches, and the perspective that he had was, you know, so he's he was a worship leader at a church, but he's also out on the road, you know, touring, selling tickets, all this stuff, and for him. He was like, on the road, if, if I don't have the best crew, I'm not selling tickets. Mm. And if I'm not taking care of my crew, then they're not going to want to work for me. And therefore, I don't have a good crew and I'm not selling tickets. You know, it's, it's, yeah. and he's like, in the, and then he said, in the church, it's almost like there's a feeling of entitlement to great production. Mm. Uh, like the leaders of the local church just feel like, well, you know, it's, it's the word of God. So yes, we need the best production, but it's not yeah. connected to any kind of outcomes or ticket sales or whatever. It's just like, hey, stop screwing up because this is the most important thing ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just it, it's a weird relationship now that you have with the people doing the technology. I just thought it was an interesting uh, statement. I had never thought of it that way. Well, yeah. And all you have to do is look at the feedback that is given proportionally to the people who are on the stage versus the people who are working behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. The feedback that is, at least in my church experience, that is pretty much always given to the pastor, the person giving the message is, that was so great. That was fantastic. (laughs) This really spoke to me. This is what you really did well in that message. And then the only feedback often that is ever given to the person, the tech director is here's the list of things that went wrong. Right. Yeah, exactly. Here's the list of things that should have been better thinking about. So right now we're still in COVID lockdown situations. And so a lot of churches are starting to meet again. Some aren't. But I, the thing that I found interesting is that the tech person's getting less feedback about things not going well. And the pastor's not getting any feedback about how yeah. great his message was or her <laughs> message. You know, it, it just is an interesting dynamic of, yeah, the, I could imagine that the, the pastor or the worship leader even is really missing that constant positive reinforcement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, that's a side. Yeah, it's hard, (laughs) you know, because we don't have, you know, we, 
the way I've been kind of trying to describe it, at least to myself and others, is, <laughs> you know, we used to have two metrics to show us whether an event or a Sunday was successful. Mm-hmm. We had the the numbers because we were yep, always right. counting the numbers. Sure. Um, and we could look at the numbers on the sheet. But then we also had the feeling in the room. Right. And so even if the numbers were lower, we could say, yeah, but you know what? Those people were engaged. I could feel it. Right. Now all we have is the numbers for the most right. part. Right, right, right. You know, we might have like an online chat that we're like <laughs> desperately trying to get people to engage in. And right. <laughs> maybe they're not, maybe they are. But like we've lost that feeling in the room, which, right. you know, that not to digress, but I think that that that's part of the the kind of anxiety that we get often like is, is our church actually engaged? Cause we no longer have the feeling of the room. Right. And I would maybe to take it another step further, you as a, as a teacher or as a technician or, you know, wherever you fit into the, the whole scheme of the service, I would be questioning my worth because I'm not getting oh, yeah. any of those feedback uh, loops happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not getting the positive reinforcement or negative. Right. And, and yeah, to, to bring it kind of back full circle, it's like as a, as a technician, I imagine you can do so much work to set up the live stream and make sure that, you know, the shot looks really good and it's well lit and the audio is going to be high quality. Like you do everything that you can and then it all can be lost the minute that live stream goes down. Right. You know, (laughs) and to some extent, like we learned the first time we tried to record this podcast, sometimes (laughs) you just don't have control over that. Right. You know, it's almost like it's almost like you have worked so hard to create an in-person experience on Sunday and then the power goes out. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, too, just as we were talking about it, the the people behind the console also rely on the feeling in the room. Yes, absolutely. is the mix working? Is the does the lighting work? Are the camera shots working? Is all part of what's going on in the room? Mm-hmm. And yeah, to now just you're it's it's so sterile now. Just I'm watching it and making sure the stream you know stays active or whatever. Just, right. Yeah. Well, and well, that's where the that technical work. I mean, you have championed this so well with Philo, but that technical work is inherently creative in that sense yeah. Yeah, yeah. because so much of creative work is is a converse essentially a conversation going on between the artist and her audience yeah and, and it's continually listening and and the ebb and flow of that conversation and so from a technical perspective the audio engineer is sitting there like you said essentially having a conversation with what's going on in the room. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, I'm going to draw back here. I'm going to pull us up here, you know, whatever it might be. Right. But then, unfortunately, with we, I think we're still figuring out how a virtual experience, and some of us have figured it out really, really well, I think, but how a virtual-only experience can still be a conversational creative experience. Right, right. So one of the things I'd love to talk about so we talked about a lot about being creative and I think when you're when you're working a creative job or you're you're trying to create something in a church environment you're creating it with other people there are a lot of other people involved and I think mm. maybe as somebody who's on stage you're more in touch with that reality versus somebody who's a I'll just talk about myself when I was an audio engineer I'm just like, just give me the stuff and I will mix it. Like I, I, there's mm-hmm. very little 
I cr- I treated it very uncollaboratively. You know, I was like, <laughs> just tell me what you're doing and I will make it happen. I'll make and it sound good. S- yeah, right. And it took me a long time to realize that, oh, really, that, you know, for this to work, we need to work together to like, I need different information from the stage to make the sound good. Or could we try this instead? You know, there, there was some collaboration required to, uh, to make it the best it could be. And with that collaboration comes like critique and mm-hmm. like the reality that, you know, what I like isn't necessarily what we need here. And so I need to let go of what is important to me maybe in this moment for what's important to the whole. Mm. Mostly making lots of statements without a question. So now I'm trying to think of what my question is. What do you think about that? Yeah, very good. Very good. Well done. (laughs) No, I I, I appreciate that. So I'll go, if it's all right, I'll go spiritual perhaps before I go practical. Sure, yeah. In that creativity, almost never, at least good art and good, you know, Quality creativity almost never happens in a silo. It okay. almost never happens in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, and I think we see that exemplified uh, even in the opening pages of scripture where we see God, one of the, the first verb of God is God creates. Uh-huh. And, you know, you could say that the Genesis 1 narrative is God creating, quote, in a vacuum, in a silo by himself. However, uh-huh. even within that opening language, uh, you know, theologians point out that like the Trinity is seen there. It's okay. let us make humankind in our image. It says in the beginning, God created and the spirit of God was hovering over the water. So even within himself, God is yeah. already collaborative. And there are certain uh, tasks that God is delegating or giving away, uh, you know, to different parts of himself in a okay. way. Um, but then skipping ahead to you know, the, the role of humanity, one of the first things that God does is delegate these creative tasks and saying, Hey, humanity, I want to collaborate with you in this. Right. Right. So the, the first and ultimate and divine creator saw fit to not create in a vacuum only by himself, but to collaborate even with, by the way, other creative beings who were not nearly as talented or not nearly as qualified <laughs> as he was. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> um, but was willing to uh, give those tasks away for the betterment of all of creation um, and for the betterment of his people. Uh, if that's God's heart behind creativity, I imagine that we have a responsibility to reflect that in our own creative endeavors. Mm. Now, that's the spiritual, the practical side of that has been a long and frustrating learning process for me. Uh, nor, you know, I think normally the person, once again, criminally, the person on the stage is usually the one driving the entire collaborative experience. It's like, right. no, I want it to be like this. I want it to sound like this. It needs to be less of this. Right, right. That's one way of doing it. I'm just going to direct all of these cogs in my system, sure. you know, who are going to accomplish what I want this thing to be. I think what's been interesting for me is I didn't start as, you know, a teaching pastor at a church where I had a lot of that um, sort of creative control. Right. I started as the freelancer who they brought in right. you know, to help craft the experience. And even before that, I started as a video editor working with Dave Hunter for some of his like corporate clients. Right, right. And so I would edit a story testimonial video 
and tell a story that I thought was very captivating and choose the exact right B-roll. And then I would get this long list of notes from the client and I would read those notes and I'm like, you're ruining this video. <laughs> like you are making it worse with your yeah. notes, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I can't imagine how many times, you know, a, a lighting designer or an audio engineer has sat back when I've asked them to like change something with the lights and they yeah. thought to themselves, you're ruining this moment, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> but there, but inevitably what I had to learn is there is, there's a negotiation that is going on mm-hmm. there. And there's a collaboration that has to happen. Uh, and I, th- I think about a, an example. One time I was shooting a video um, with a church and they were going to be using it for their Christmas service. And what we had done was we had timed the lighting or tried our best to time the lighting. We were shooting it on a stage. And so we had tried to time the lighting with my delivery. Okay. And there was just one thing we were trying to do with the lights that was changing the delivery of the poem that I was performing. And it was messing with the timing of it to the point where I thought that my perform my personal performance of this piece was worse because I had to wait for this lighting cue. But okay. there was just no way for us to do it any faster and for it to be effective. And so in that moment, I had a choice. I could either say, no, we have to cut that lighting cue entirely because this is how the poem has to be said. Right. Or I could say, oh, my desire to say this poem perfectly is not out of a desire for the good news to be preached more effectively. It's out of a desire for people to hear this poem and think John did a really great job. (laughs) And so for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the ministry that was happening through that piece, I had to die to myself in that moment and say, I'm going to say this in a way that isn't necessarily a hundred percent how I want to do it for the sake of the whole. Sure. And again, like to draw it back to the spiritual, that is what we're constantly asked to do. You know, that is what a spiritual community, that's what the church is. Right. Uh, a, a community of individuals who are willing to uh, not think so highly of themselves, but rather to think first of the needs of others and to think first of the needs of the body. And so I think the creative process is a wonderful arena in which we see that playing out. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, uh, I've been watching the TV show on Netflix, The Queen's Gambit. Oh, yeah. Chess. Very good. Very good. But the thing about it that uh, just last night, the lighting is amazing and the camera mm. shots are really great. And I just know that the actor is probably thinking, why do I have to stand like this exactly? Right. Or sit exactly <laughs> this way. And why do we have to keep doing this over and over again? This doesn't feel natural to me. Mm. But then you see the finished product. You're like, oh my gosh, it's so visually stunning. Yeah. Um, but it, the actor was probably in some awkward position to get that, you know. For me, I feel like each of us has a perspective that's very limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can only see so much of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm the lighting designer or if I'm the audio person, I, I'm trying to interpret what we're talking about and make it happen within my limited sphere of perspective. And it really does require us to be open to outside perspectives to say this isn't working or what if we did this instead you know, make it 25% better or whatever. Cause I think we all have blind spots 
-hmm. If you're the audio engineer, you know, just because you like the way the drums sound, you know, in a particular moment, there's something more important than the drums happening. Yeah. But if I'm not open to that outside perspective, then I'm just going to be like, well, no, this is how I like it. And so, yeah. Well, and the more it's difficult because the more excellent we become at our craft, often the more opinionated we become on how it should be done, um, which I think is a good thing. That's what, that's what makes excellent artists excellent is because they have strong opinions over how things should be done. Right, right. Um, but the que- and maybe this is just for me, but the question that I constantly have to ask myself is what is the ultimate goal with this? Is the ultimate goal for me to do good work or for God's work to be done through this project, you know, and sometimes, right. and that doesn't mean that the two are mutually exclusive. You know, I, I think actually they, they work in tandem, like we already talked about with the divine human collaboration, but the ultimate goal is not for someone to walk away from a service and think to themselves, man, those drums sounded amazing. <laughs> yeah. you know? Nor by the way, is the goal for someone to walk away from a service and think, man, that worship leader's voice was incredible. Right. Or, yeah. Man, that pastor is so charismatic. I think right. if that's the first thought people are having, I think we've, we've missed something. We've missed it. Yeah. We, we've lost, you know? So yeah, I think it's the question of like, am I trying to highlight my own work or am I trying to support the work that God is doing through all of us here? Right. And I think most, most things that we see, if we go to a concert, remember when we used to go to concerts and, um, Mm. or a show or whatever that, you know, our mind is blown by the experience. A lot of, there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes there of people bringing their very best this is my best idea. This is my best lighting design. This is my coolest lighting effect or, you know, the best uh, jib move you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And then laying it at the feet of the whole experience and to be brutally honest to cut those things that are distracting from yes. what is it we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think the you know, going back to your days doing musical theater in New York City and doing the same thing over and over again, the thing that that we miss out on in the church that theater has worked out is test audience. And yeah, totally. uh, we're going to create 25% more songs than we actually need. Mm-hmm. And then we're just going to say, yep, it's my favorite song, but it's got to go uh, right. to make the whole thing better. And maybe we just, because we have such short timelines... Uh, we will never be able to do that. Or maybe because we, you know, yeah, there's no time for a test audience uh, to try something out. Um, mm-hmm. And so every week just needs to be, oh, you're our test audience. And we're just, we're hoping that we've done the hard work of cutting the stuff that that is distracting from what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, theater is a is a beautiful example of one of the ultimate collaborative experiences you know, if I'm if I'm in a musical as an actor and there is a song that I have to start, I say a line and the song starts and I want to say the line and just go right into that song. Yeah. If I just run over everyone, there's an entire orchestra underneath me that is <laughs> yeah. going to be completely off yeah, and yeah. thrown off because I was so committed to here's how I think it should be done as an actor. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so we have to... When I'm told, hey, John, you actually have to pause here 
then I, inside, I have to justify, okay, well, why would I take the pause there? How am I going to make this feel authentic and right for me so that the whole show can be done better? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that collaborative spirit and recognizing that because we had to negotiate and compromise doesn't mean that I have to compromise the excellence of my work. It just means I have to find a, a new or different way to make it excellent. Right. On that note, going back to you mentioning, you know, like doing a video edit for a client and coming back with, you know, this whole list of things that now will ruin the story. (laughs) That's a real feeling that I think a lot of us have uh, more often maybe than we would admit to. But because we're in church, it's like that doesn't float very well, that idea. And so like how how do you... is it all about just saying, okay, if this is how we're doing, I need I need to come to grips with it and, you know, get on board and figure out how I'm motivated by this? Or am I just, I'll do it, just tell me what you want and I'll do it, you know, mm. which feels very, you know, unhealthy. Yeah, and likely ingenuine and leads to uh, quite a bit of bitterness yeah. uh, and I resentment. I mean, in the freelance world, you don't get hired again, you know, but totally, uh, in totally. a church, yeah, you're you know, people are stuck with you. Yeah. (laughs) Chances are. So I I can share kind of uh, how I have processed through those sorts of things. One thing overall, I think a big piece of it depends on the culture. If you're working within a church or an organization, is this a culture where uh, healthy uh, discourse and disagreement around something and um, constructive feedback and pushback is encouraged to a certain extent or not. And if you're in a place where it's not, then I think there's a lot more deeper foundational work that needs to be done amongst the whole culture. Right, right. However, if you are, or if you are a freelancer stepping into any sort of culture, one sort of rule of thumb, and this is not necessarily a rule, but more of a guideline I used for myself was, let's say I were to write a poem for a church. And I send in my first draft of like, here's the piece. And I receive some feedback that I think is going to compromise the integrity and excellence and message of the poem, which happens quite a bit. Sure. I created a slight rule for myself that I will push back on that. Okay. One time. And in my pushback, what I don't say is, no, I think what I wrote is better. So please reconsider. (laughs) Instead, I say, Thanks so much for these edits. I really appreciate them. I see the direction you're trying to go. Just so you know, here was my thought process in Mm -hmm. writing it that way. Yeah. And here's what I was trying to accomplish there. And so I would really like to keep it this way if possible, but obviously this is your ultimate decision. I just wanted you to know the thought process behind it. Yeah. And what normally happens is they will come back and say, oh, that's really helpful. Let's maybe find a place in the middle. Okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think, and I don't know how well that translates necessarily to, you know, uh, camera operators and whatnot of like, yeah. here's how I was doing this move, you know. But I, I think, you know, setting a precedent of, yeah, I'm, I'm going to justify to you why I made this decision. Right. But ultimately, you know, whoever is the person who's, who's making the final call, it's, it's your final call. But here's why I did it and here's why right, I think right. we should do it that way. I think it's really interesting to me when I uh, started doing more freelance work, 
I realized that my motivation shifted a little bit from hmm. wanting to be heard or understood or that my feelings were considered or, you know, whatever feeling things were going on in me to I'm going to do great work and I want you to be uh, happy with the outcome at the mm. end of it, uh, which is maybe way oversimplifying this. And I also, you know, most of those freelance jobs, I'm never going to work with that person again, you know, just like mm -hmm. how things end up. Yeah, maybe I would, but, and so there is no like long-term collaborative play, which a lot of us are, right. you know, if you, if you're working in church and yeah, you're the lighting designer or the, the audio engineer, you know, you you and the worship leader will be living, uh, you know, in the same space for a long time. So that it, it's maybe a little bit of a longer play. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, what you said, just this idea of giving space to have a conversation about it. This is why I'm doing this. And then somebody could say, yeah, I appreciate that, but we still need to do it that way. Yeah. And I think a lot of times this is where I get stuck a lot because if there's no trust between those people, then this is just going to further the break of trust. Mm. Um, that as a, as a technical person, I would feel towards the, you know, this is like one more time that, uh, I can't do my thing, but if there's trust there or if we're building towards trust, then I know that person trusts my outside perspective, you know, my perspective. Mm -hmm. And that person knows that I trust their perspective yeah. that we're both trying to create something that's the right thing for our church. Yeah, and and yeah, to kind of flip the script on what I was saying before, from the perspective of uh, the leader or whoever's kind of in charge of the thing, outside of clear, massive mistakes, like, hey, the lights go out in the <laughs> yeah. middle of that song. Right, right. Can we make that not happen? But instead of going to the person that you're collaborating with or the person who's creating something for you and saying, hey, we need to change blank, is there time to start the conversation with, hey, can you talk me through why you decided to do it this way? Right, right. And because sometimes there's a lot of intention and thought that went behind why that lighting designer decided to do it that way. And for you to just walk up and be like, we need to scrap it and it all needs to be blue <laughs> yeah, right. is essentially like you stepping on that person's heart, you know? Right, right, right. Um, but then there's other times where you go to them and you ask, hey, is there a reason we crafted it this way? And then say, uh, no, that's actually, that's just like what we've always done. Great. Boom. You know, yeah, it's like, right. but I think it helps to know, you know, where the people you're collaborating with have, have come from. So we know the level of sensitivity with which we need to talk about changes or shifts or notes. Right, right, right. I think too, even uh, something that's worked for me in the past is even saying, hey, uh, you know, I know that didn't work, but could we try this? Let's just try mm -hmm. it. And so there's no pressure, like it's going to always be this way, but we're just going to see what happens. And if it doesn't work, mm -hmm. we move on. But totally. I think um, just letting ourselves off the hook to be like, let's just, let's see what happens if we, you know, wait five seconds on that lighting cue or, or whatever. Yep. Doesn't work. All right. Let's go back to the other way. Um, yeah. And I just, the, you know, the difference between something you mentioned, you know, something like, you know, let's make it all blue. And uh, we used to, way back when I was first starting, uh, my uh, creative director, we had that problem, like it has to be blue or it's wrong is how it mm. felt <laughs> instead of, you know, I think red's okay here too. It's not like right or wrong. It's just 
your preference versus my preference. Yeah. And I think that's a really hard thing to delineate. Like what of this is right and wrong and what of it is just my opinion versus your opinion. Totally. And maybe to take it all the way back to, uh, you know, Genesis and God delegating the, you know, naming of the animals to Adam. Like, you know, is there a better name for elephant? Maybe. <laughs> and God, but God just, you know, let, it's not right or wrong. It's just, you know, my opinion versus yours. So yeah, let's go with mm-hmm. elephants. Fine. Yeah. There's, there's a sub, you know, we're talking about art here. So yeah. there's a subjectivity to it. Yeah. And I think what helps in the realm of subjectivity is to have a clear vision of what the goal is and what what story are we trying to tell? What are we trying to accomplish? Because yeah, there's infinite number of ways we can do this and they all may be excellent and they all may be really, really cool. But the question is, which of these subjective choices are going to set us up to accomplish what we're actually trying to accomplish here, to yeah, create right. the experience we're trying to create? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a decision that has to be made long before we ever sit down at the soundboard, you know? And I think too, it's uh, at at a certain point, collaboration needs to end and somebody needs to decide. Like the, I I think if we just, if it's like, yeah, everybody's vote matters or whatever, I don't think we get very far, but I think that's, that's probably what makes collaboration so hard. The, the ability to, I'm going to bring my best, my strongest opinions. And then I'm just, I'm going to, lay it at the feet of whoever needs to decide. Um, mm-hmm. And I think most of the time, yeah, it's the worship leader, it's the senior pastor, it's the person on stage that's the final say, which yeah, isn't right or wrong or bad or good. It's just kind of the way, if, if it were up to me sitting behind the console to decide, you know, what collaborative, you know, where we're, what we need to accomplish, I probably would do a horrible job at it. <laughs> I'm better suited to be in the back and be, you know, helping to manage what's happened, you know, bring it all together. But I also have to be willing to let go of my thing so that somebody can decide, can use yep. it as a tool to accomplish the goal. Yep. And that's what it means to be part of a team. I mean, let's, let's go out of the, the realm of, uh, or the metaphor of theater into the metaphor of sports. You know, if, if you think about a football team, American football, um, oh, and and you think about a you think about a play that's called, you know, the quarterback, the the coach says, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna run this play, yep. um, and we're we're gonna run the ball." And hey, guess what, wide receiver, we need you to actually be blocking on the outside because we're gonna run it to the outside. Right. And that wide receiver is Odell Beckham Jr. For those of you who are well, he tore his ACL, so hopefully. <laughs> Great recovery for him. But yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't have the best attitude. And so he's been known with if he's not getting the ball thrown to him enough to not submit himself to the good of the whole right. and instead just do what he wants to do. Yeah. And the whole team is worse because of it. Right. You know, I think it's it, that is a a picture of what we need to be willing to do is advocate for ourselves and our work when yeah. the time is appropriate to do so and then submit to the good of the whole team when the time is appropriate to do that. Right, right. And I think using that example of a wide receiver, yeah, be the best at catching the ball and running with it that you possibly can be. Yeah. And know that occasionally you're going to be asked to block, which isn't your best play. 
but we need you to do it anyway. Yeah. So you're hugely helpful. Right. And I think that's another hard part about creativity is that a lot of times it can feel like you're asking me to give you less than my best, Mm. you know, by, okay, if we're going that way, then I feel like I'm failing at my job. Mm. But that wide receiver blocking is such a great uh, analogy. I know how I need to know how to block well as what as good as I can, but I'm also not built to like run people over. Totally. And so the blocking is going to be as good as it, I'm going to be as good as I can be at it for the sake of the team. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's strong, Todd. That's a strong metaphor for, for what we're asked to do, especially in, cause especially if you're working in the church, let's be real. There's mm-hmm. going to be parts of your job that are added on to the part of your job that you really love doing. There's yeah. going to be the blocking parts of it that right, just right. feel like grunt work and I don't enjoy doing this. And this actually holds me back from doing the creative work that God has called and created me to do. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but guess what? This is part of the work as well. Um, right, right. And so... Yeah, keeping it in perspective of doing this work is not a punishment. Doing this extra blocking type work is not, uh, it's not keeping me from my creative work, but it's helping all of us to accomplish the mission that God has called all of us to do. Right, right. And I think too, just keeping on that analogy, if I'm the coach, I don't want you always blocking because that's not what you're good at. (laughs) I mean, that's not what you're best at. I, I want to get you the ball. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, some of that is up to uh, who the coach is in your particular situation. But just even knowing, like, if 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 my best play is mixing audio, but you also need me to, you know, run sound for the wedding that's happening earlier in the day, mm-hmm. you know, I on some level, I need to trust that, you know, this is not the best use of my abilities, yes. but it needs to get done. And so it's the best thing for the team. Yeah, uh, coming back to trust, it, it, I need to trust that you know I'm better at catching the ball and running with it than I am at blocking. Totally, it's you know, and once again, it's it's body of Christ stuff, it's spiritual gift stuff. You know that uh, we could go away from the metaphor of sports and go into the metaphors that the scriptures use, but it's yeah, it's all there and it's all present. Yeah, and it's all necessary to be a part of God's church. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for making time, uh, 2.0 time to make this (laughs) podcast happen. This last little uh, few minutes of this conversation definitely got me thinking a lot. This is some good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for. No, of course. Sparking my my thought process. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. And it it gets me thinking as well, because I am now kind of in, uh, I'm kind of in this transition from, hey, I'm a freelancer and yeah, when I'm working with a client, I have to submit to the good of the whole. But for the most part, like I'm doing what I want to do, you know, and I'm a free agent and I'm learning what it looks like now to be submitted to a team and be submitted to a community and kind of what that looks like. So I'm, I'm right there in that journey with, uh, with you and the, the rest of these listeners. So, yeah, cool. Well, thanks for making time and great to, yeah, just hang out for a little bit and yeah, talk about creativity and collaboration and yeah, all good stuff. No, thank you, Todd. Thanks for continuing to say yes to leading this community and for teaching 
I mean, you and Philo, I talked about it earlier, have taught me one of the more valuable lessons I've ever learned in ministry. And that is that my gifting, even though it may be celebrated more than others, is not more important or valuable than others. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a that's a lesson that uh, has changed the way that I do the work that I do. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. John is one of the best. I mean, I love his perspective on so many things. The idea that God delegates tasks to people who are not as creative as him. Oh, man. Ouch. It totally reframed my thoughts around how I engage with volunteers. I mean, how much more capable is God than me? I mean, it's infinite how much better he is at everything than I am. And yet he entrusts me to be his hands and feet in this world. And just how much more can we be engaging our volunteers and delegating to them? Oh, it's so good. Also, when he talked about the ultimate goal, you know, is it for me to do good work or for God's work to be done? And I have to say that's really a tough one for me because I like to be known for doing great work. And yeah, God's work getting done, that's maybe more of a background thing to me. Anyway, super convicting. You know, he also talked about creativity being subjective, but that we should be asking the question, do we have a clear goal of what we're trying to accomplish, which really brings it into focus of why the creativity that you're doing, why you're doing it in the first place. Also, his analogy blocking as a wide receiver, that was so good for me. You know, I can do something I'm not designed for. You know, I want to be a team player, but there is a position that I'm designed for to play my best. And so, yeah, put me in that spot. So good. So good. Anyway, Uh, we got some big updates coming next week about the Philo Conference. If you're listening in real time, sign up for our newsletter or follow us on social media to get the updates at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram or at Philo Conference on Twitter. Anyway, we got some big announcement about the Philo Conference and we can't wait to share it with you. So stay tuned. And while you're waiting for that big announcement, you can head to philo.org slash philo 2021 Chicago to check out all the breakout faculty we have, all the main session speakers. We got some good ones. One of them, Dr. Andrew Johnston, he'll be talking about how we need to think differently if we're going to move beyond simply doing a task to becoming a leader of teams. And Dr. Johnston will be a guest on our podcast in the upcoming months. So we're pretty excited about that. So anyway, that's all for now. Thanks for joining us until next time.